0: Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Mays, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Pat Dorsey, and he'll be answering your questions on the South Platte River, the ultimate challenge. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Pat a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your questions. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right-hand column of our website. Just fill in your name and email address, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted as the property of the Knowledge Group. Inc. doing business is ask about fly fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Pat Dorsey about South Platte River, the ultimate challenge. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams, and just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore. They can match your expectation with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja fly fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its backroads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They're well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on pongas, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at BajaFlyFish.com. Again, it's BajaFlyFish.com. Before we introduce Pat, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drive tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and look for the link under Pat's section that says click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Pat's book, The Fly Fishing Guide to the South Platte River, courtesy of Stackpole Books. If you want to learn more about uh, the books that Stackpole has to offer, go to StackpoleBooks.com and check out all the publications that they've produced. It's just a wealth of information out there. So check them out, and um, thanks a lot to StackFall for providing um, Pat's book for this uh, contest that we have at the end of the show. So here's how you can win Pat's book. You have to be the first person to answer the question that we ask at the end of the show. It may be a two-part question, but it will be something that Pat and I talk about during the show. And you have to submit your answer along with your name and location using that text box on our homepage. So listen closely and use your best typing skills, and hopefully you'll win Pat's book. Our guest tonight is Pat Dorsey. Pat has been guiding customers of all abilities for nearly 30 years. He spends well over 200 days a year on the water, a combination of guiding clients, hosting destination travel trips, and personal days on the water. Pat is the head guide and co-owner of Blue Quill Angler Fly Shop in Evergreen, Colorado. He oversees and trains more than 25 guides, setting the standard for integrity, professionalism in the Blue Quill Angler guide operation. Pat is a Sims ambassador, a member of the Sage Elite Pro Team, Fish Pond Ambassador, Orvis Pro Team member, Yeti Pro Staff, High Drift Boats Pro Staff, and Scientific Anglers Pro Staff. Pat is the Southwest Field Editor for Fly Fisherman, He's also the author of four books, Fly Fishing Tailwaters, a comprehensive book on fly fishing tailwater fisheries, Tying and Fishing Tailwater Flies, which contains 500 step-by-step photos to tie 24 proven patterns, and Colorado Guide Flies, which features tips from the state's best guides and includes approximately 600 mm-hmm. proven guide flies with recipes. And then the latest book, which is a, a revised version of his original book, Fly Fishing Guide to the South Platte River. Uh Pat just came out with this, uh, the revised edition, in 2018, and it's a complete how-to fly fishing manual for the entire South Platte River drainage. Pat has accomplished fly tire and has originally a number of effective patterns, such as the Mercury Series, UV Scud, Limeade, Cherry Limeade, Paper Tiger, Top Secret Midge, Medallion Midge, and the famed Black Beauty. He's a fly designer for Umqua feather merchants, and his signature flies are available at the Blue Quill Angler and other specialty fly shops throughout the U.S. He's a pro team member for Whiting Farms, and many of his flies incorporate Whiting Farm products. Pat is a nationally known speaker. He travels the United States sharing his passion for fly fishing at trade shows and fishing clubs, He is active with Trout Unlimited and the conservation of cold water fisheries. Well, Pat, welcome back to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you back. It's been, uh, we've done a number of shows since, but the original show I did with you is back in 2007 uh, when we talked about the South Flat, and uh, back, uh, I think we had just had the fire back then, which was affecting the river pretty significantly uh, at that time, but uh, lots to catch up on, so I thought we'd do a, a review, and um, you can tell us what's changed and what's the same and uh what's better, what's worse, (laughs) kind of re-explore the South Platte. So, sound good?
1: That sounds great to me.
0: Okay, good. Well, um, I thought we'd start by just giving a, um, you know, a tour for all our listeners down the South Platte and highlighting the areas that you are most expert in so that we can dig a bit deeper in those areas. But um, it's really a, a kind of a huge fishery when you think about starting at the headwaters all the way to downtown Denver. So lots of water to fish. So why don't we start up there at the headwaters and uh, kind of brief us on the different sections and maybe we can talk about the topography in the area and, you know, the water flow and kind of how they fish that area, you know, to fish that area and what kind of pressure it gets, those
1: kind of things. So, So can we start out up there at the headwaters and get us started? You betcha. I mean, the headwaters are basically comprised of two different forks. You have the, the middle fork that comes off the backside of the Mosquito Range in Bald Mountain. And then you have the south fork that comes off of Weston Pass. So they both offer um, small stream experiences, classic meandering meadow streams. And uh, on the middle fork, you have the, the Buffalo Peaks Ranch and the Tomahawk State Wildlife Area. They have about six miles of access for anglers. And then you also have the Badger Basin stretch that's um, on the Middle Fork and the South Fork. So um, that's a nice stretch there. And also you have the Knight Emler stretch as well as the Ranch 63 on the South Fork. So there's a lot of opportunities, considerably less pressure in these areas, and it's great dry and dropper water and just an overall breath of fresh air when it comes to uh, seeking a little bit of solitude.
0: And uh, public access to those areas is pretty
1: good? Yeah, there's good access. Uh, for instance, you know, the Badger Basin has about 22 miles of public access. It's all-inclusive, the Middle Fork and the South Fork, as well as some on Four Mile Creek. So, and, you know, Buffalo Peaks and Tomahawk has about six miles, as I mentioned. So there's certainly a lot of opportunities out there for people that want to get away.
0: And those all kind of, uh, those two branches filter into Spinney Reservoir, right?
1: Yes, they uh, the, the confluence of the middle and the south fork is above Spinney Reservoir. And um, there certainly is a stretch, you know, of water there above the reservoir that um, is of interest to people, especially in the spring and the fall when the migratory fish are entering the system.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because that's one of the um, – uh, when, when we move below Spinney to Charlie Myers State Wildlife Area, Dream Stream, as so many people know it as, um, that gets a lot of spawning uh, fish coming up. So do you get as many coming out of Spinney up into upper reaches there as you do into the Dream Stream?
1: It has an impressive spawn run. It typically starts about a month later than the run that occurs out of 11 miles. So that's something to note. And Also, we're dealing with freestone streams, of course, above the lake, so they have a much shorter season. You know, ice off typically is going to be in mid-April and can vary a week or two based on warm or cool weather trends, and typically we start to see those things starting to freeze up again, you know, during the first part of November. So, certainly a much shorter season in comparison to the tailwaters that offer a year-round fishery.
0: Right, right. So, and to get up into that area, what's drive time from Denver? I mean, if people are trying to get up there from out of state trying to fish, what kind of time does it take to drive up to that?
1: I typically, you know, if you get out into South Park, whether you're going, you know, through 285 or if you're going to go um, I-25 down to the springs and go over 24, typically it takes me, you know, I live in Parker, two hours, two hours and 15 minutes typically will get me out to many of those places.
0: Okay, so it's a, a bit of a trek for a day trip from Denver um, for visitors, but um, there's plenty of fishing closer as well on, on the South Platte, right?
1: Absolutely. I think it's um, it's just another option, and it really is. It has a time and place. Of course, you know, the high water season, it's not a great place to be, but, you know, it, it really is a fabulous little dry fly fishery, and you're going to see, you know, caddis, sallies, um, pale morning duns, and, and it really is a lovely little fishery-to-fish drop-life.
0: Yeah, there was a, a question about um, runoff. Uh, yeah, uh, J.T. Griffin in Virginia says, for those of us traveling to Colorado and not accustomed to the runoff, um, where does runoff occur, and, and, uh, and should we avoid certain times of the year? So you had just mentioned that, you know, high water season up in that area. What in general is is the high water season for the plat that you need to be concerned about? Because we we do have a lot of tailwaters to fish, right? So uh, they aren't. uh, Absolutely.
1: You know, it's important to note, and I think it's no surprise, but, you know, we're sitting at about 130%. um, So we've got a pretty good snowpack this year. So as a general rule of thumb, your freestone streams typically peak about Father's Day. And so they typically start to shape up towards the latter part of june and into july but oftentimes that's kind of on the front edge of that monsoon season so it just depends you know there's times when we get heavy showers out in the south park area and and those streams can spike uh way up once again and the clarity can be off so on and so forth so it's really there's a fine balance between uh bat fishery being on and off just based on uh, mother nature
0: yeah yeah definitely yeah well, um, so we've got then, uh, Spinney Reservoir, and I know that's not your particular forte, but, uh, tell folks about what's available, you know, if they want to fish in still waters, uh, what are they going to find in spinny?
1: You know, the thing about the still water thing is, um, you know, still water fishing is certainly not for everybody, and, and I don't do a tremendous amount of still water fishing, but the good news is, is South Park is home to, you know, four outstanding still water Fisheries um, that grow some really impressive trout, and of course Antero, you got Spinney, you got Eleven Mile, and you got all Reservoir. So there's, they're all in you know close proximity to one another, which means you could fish you know half a day on one or whatever. You typically, you get blown off those things though um, with the the heavy wind. But there's just a lot of opportunities, and I encourage people to you know to fish them. It's just another experience that we are so blessed to have here in Colorado
0: yeah don't uh there's also are, are pike available both in um spinney and uh eleven mile
1: definitely uh yeah there's pike in spinney and um there's a lot of other game fish in there as well and you know i mean the the trout the yellow perch is kind of a problem in there right now it's it's kind of exploding but it's still a great trout fishery you know regional experts like Landon Mayer and john Perizzolo and Joe Schaefer. I mean, those guys fish these still waters quite regularly, and they're they're quite impressed with them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so then below Spinney, we've got the, the tailwater that is known as a drain stream, right? And that's kind of right. famous, so to speak. Um, so tell us about that fishery, and uh, let's dig a little bit deeper there, because people always hear about it and want to know about it, and give them some reality there. <laughs>
1: Well, the Dreamstream has certainly um, gained a national reputation of being one of the best tailwaters in the country, if not you know, or in the Western U.S. is what I meant to say, if not the country. So it's um, obviously it's a year-round fishery, and all of the tailwaters are really, um, you know, they're still water impoundment. Their primary goal is to supply water or downstream irrigation demand, and in this particular case, it's the city of Aurora. So, you know, it's an amazing fishery. It flows right now are pretty low. We're down at, like, 46 of CFS. But uh, we had a pretty good spawn run this spring, and, of course, that brings a lot of crowds, of course. But um, you have your migratory runs both in the spring and in the fall, and then you just have your resident population of fish that provide anglers with uh, year-round fishing.
0: And, uh, kind of describe to people, this, uh, this stream is between the Spinney and the 11 Mile Reservoir. And, uh, how long is it and what's the topography like there?
1: It's, uh, depending upon who you talk to, it's anywhere between five and a half, six miles from the base of Spinney Dam to the inlet of 11 Mile Reservoir. And it's, uh, similar in many ways, um, to, you know, the waters above the the reservoir by that i mean it's a you know meandering meadow stream but it has had um, several stream restoration projects to um, improve habitat to reinforce banks to um, narrow the channel in certain areas wood tow to um, create undercuts and different things so it certainly has had some improvements over the years to help facilitate you know the trout populations in there. But overall, you're going to find rainbows, cutbows, and brown trout in there. Um, one of the most impressive brown trout runs I think you'll see anywhere in the world coming out of 11 miles. So it's it's spectacular.
0: And there's, there's some big fish coming out of 11 Mile, right?
1: There's some scary fish that come out of there. I mean, we see fish both in the spring and fall that are 30 inches, thereabouts, give or take, a few inches. Um, that are caught and landed every year in there.
0: Wow, well. Wow. And how do you fish that? I mean, what are some of the tactics you use there? Is it anything different that you use in other places to be successful? Because it's, it's fish pretty hard, and it's a challenging fishery, right?
1: It is, and, and um, you know, I think a lot of people come, you know, looking for that trophy fish, and, and no doubt it's, um, it's a challenging time of year to be a guide and a fly fisher. So I think, first of all, everybody has to um, – have good manners and just, you know, share the water and try not to be confrontational. And obviously these fish are trying to move into this system to spawn, and very important that anglers do not fish to these fish on reds or target any of those fish. Um, target them during the migratory period when they're moving into the system. I always tell people if, if there's fish in shallow riffles, you should assume that they're spawning and you should leave those fish alone. So and that's really the future of, of what we do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But what, uh, is it a place that you have to be very stealthy in your approach? Um, um, what's that like?
1: Yeah, it's no doubt that those fish, you know, they're coming out of a still water impoundment with lots of water over their head. And when they move into the river, obviously they're very spooky and they're on the move and they're looking for, for gravel to spawn. And typically, you know, we're fishing a lot of egg midge combos during this spawn run. Red larva is a good attractor as well. And don't ever rule out throwing streamers. You know, streamers is always a very effective tactic on fooling some of these bigger fish. But I think, you know, as a general rule, most people are, you know, throwing a lot of egg and midge combos. And, and uh, sight fishing is, is critical here, you know, trying to keep your flies in front of fish. And, yes, they're they're very difficult to catch.
0: Are, um, do, you, do you get many hatches along that stream? Is there much in the way of dry fly fishing that's available, or is that a, something that's done at a different time of year?
1: You'll find uh, reliable midge hatches that um, occur 365 days a year on the drain stream, and you'll find midging fishing, you know, fish risings midges um, pretty consistently if you really look for them. For instance, you know, around the gauging station, you'll always find fish. They may not be the biggest fish out there; they're you know usually fairly small fish. But there's usually um, sippers in there. The uh, beta satch in the spring is is not very productive in comparison to other sections of the South Platte River, but things really start to improve as the spring and summer season unfold. Very reliable cat excellent PMDs, phenomenal yellow sallies, and then I think the trico spinnerfall is certainly one of the best um, hatches on that river, uh, one of the better hatches anywhere in Colorado, to be honest with you.
0: Mm-hmm. You just mentioned uh, caddis, and we did have a question from Tom Lightfoot in Las Cruces, New Mexico, about caddis. He says, how much caddis fishing is done on the South Platte, and does the La Fontaine Sparkle Pipa Fly uh, work when you know caddis are emerging? And he also says, that the South Platte caddis have a green tint like those in the West Yellowstone and Madison area? So, help people in on what the caddis hatches are like down down the river.
1: You know the the caddis hatches um, they do vary um, depending upon the section that you're fishing, and the south flat there below Spinning Reservoir certainly has one of the better hatches in the particular drainage. And uh, yes, La Fontaine Sparkle pupa has always been one of my favorite caddis pupa imitations. I mean, uh, Gary LaFontaine wrote the book Caddisflies. He certainly knows more about caddisflies than um, anybody, and uh, that's a great book that I think everybody should have um, in their library. And, you know, regard to the green, uh, most of the larvae are typically that bright green color. So certainly um, your larvae should be tied with that type of coloring. And really – Larvae are important. We fish a lot of caddis larvae in there. Uh, one of my favorite caddis larvae is, is a buckskin, and it's more of a cream oh. color, but certainly uh, it's a deadly pattern in that particular section of river.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's a classic fly, right? Buckskin, that's been around forever, it seems like. Yeah. Yep, born, uh, on,
1: born on the Decker stretch. Great pattern. Oh, was
0: it?
1: Yeah, by Ed Marsh who
0: back who in the that, 70s. Is that um, Ed of
1: No, it was invented by Ed Marsh back, I believe it was about 72 or 74 when that fly was invented.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I know it's been around forever, it seems like. (laughs) Uh, But uh, um, that kind of leads to another question by Nathan Shriver in Conifer, Colorado. He says, what tips do you have for beginners? Any good sources for learning about entomology? Since we're talking bugs here.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I would encourage, you know, anybody that's new to the sport to, try to maybe take a uh, entomology class from the local fly shop. And I don't think you need to get too trapped into, you know, knowing all the Latin names and all that kind of stuff, but certainly be able to identify, you know, a mayfly, be able to identify a midge and a stonefly and a caddisfly and so on and so forth, and imitate the various stages of their life, and, you know, furthermore, be able to um, understand what fly you need to imitate that. Um, in my book, I, I have a pretty good entomology section I think that would suffice for just about anybody in the South Platte. It's not over anybody's head, but yet I think it offers some good solid information. Certainly I'm not an entomologist, but um, it has some information that I think could benefit some people.
0: Yeah, that brings to to mind, and I don't have it within reach, but I think it was um, Dave Whitlock's Guide to Aquatic Trout Foods um yep. that has that's the one with all the diagrams showing the hatches and the emergent pattern you know uh kind of gives a life cycle is that i believe it is that? yeah so uh you might check that out too nathan i remember seeing that way back uh i don't know when his first uh edition came out um i'm trying to find it on here right now but uh I think it originally came out. I see the second edition, 2007, but I think it came out much earlier than that. But it it really kind of shows you, you know, the whole life cycle, and and that's. I I thought for me that was really useful at the time. So anyway, hey Pat, we need to take a quick break, but uh, hold on uh, for just uh, 30 seconds or so. We'll be right back, and we'll we'll talk more about the South Platte River. Sound good? Sound good. Looking for that shot at a permit? Whitbreak Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whitbreak Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whitbreak Key is just a 30 minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit whipraykeefishinglodge.com. That's whipray and then C-A-Y-E fishinglodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio and we're talking with Pat Dorsey about the South Platte River, the ultimate challenge. If you'd like to ask Pat a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question receive your question immediately and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Let me do just that here quickly pat to see if we've got anything coming in on that uh, uh Let's see. <laughs> okay. Uh uh This is funny. Um, Phil McCartney in uh, California, Kentucky says, I prefer not to be outsmarted by fish or any other creature with the brain size of a pea. (laughs) Are there times and conditions when the South Platte River trout behave stupidly? If so, please discuss those opportunities.
1: That's funny, yeah, because I actually, in Cheeseman Canyon, I I refer to the high water season as being the stupid period typically it's a three-week period where a lot of the scuds and the aquatic worms and crane flies and some of the larger food organisms get knocked loose and really puts those fish into a feeding frenzy. And it typically occurs when Cheesman Lake begins to spill. So, you know, it's coming over the spillway, the water temperatures on the rise, and those fish really begin to feed hard. And so I think as a general rule, people tend to shy away from the high water season when in all actuality, the high water season is, is my favorite time of year to fish. And I think it's certainly seasoned veterans of the South Platte would tend to agree with that.
0: But are you fishing the free stones or are you fishing the tailwaters during those periods?
1: I'm talking, to, uh, referring to the section below Cheeseman on this, on this okay. particular section. So, um, yeah, I mean, runoff, you know, as we all know, is kind of controlled by the Denver Water Board and City of Aurora based on incoming flows and downstream irrigation demand, but the high water season, obviously, below our tailwater um, are going to provide, you know, even during the high water season, some very, very good fishing.
0: Yeah, yeah. But you're not getting, like, muddy runoff water down there, right? Or you're, or
1: no, I mean, you? if there's yeah. a flow fluctuation, you know, you can get some um, off-colored water for a while, but for instance, like in Cheeseman Canyon, when the uh, reservoir starts spilling, then the uh, flow fluctuations are very minimal. And I think that's when the river fish is the best, is rather than Denver Water Board raising or lowering the water by 50 or 100 CFS or 200 CFS,
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, the beautiful thing is during the high water season is what comes in comes out, and we refer to that as full pool. So I think that's, you know, the consistency and the um, minimal amount of change is really what makes it fish good during that time period. And that's kind of, I think, you know, that high water season in Cheeseman is why I call it the stupid period, just because it's a lot more forgiving under those conditions.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, let's back up. We're talking about Cheeseman, but let's back go back up the river a ways and talk about 11 Mile Canyon uh, below 11 Mile Reservoir, another tailwater, right?
1: Yes, sir. And a little I different. Tell us about, um, a little different from the standpoint that um, water comes over the spillway on that, and it's one of the few reservoirs and the um, um, link of reservoirs that's actually full right now. And I tell you what's cool is if you go onto the Denver Water Board's website and you can you can actually see like a pie graph of the um, reservoir storage. For instance, Cheeseman's right now is about 77 percent full, so that's kind of cool. I like to keep tabs on that kind of stuff, but if anybody goes and looks at that, they're going to notice the 11 miles dang near full um, because water comes off the bottom and also water comes off the top. So that can be a double-edged sword sometimes, but it can also be a good thing because typically you're going to have a little bit warmer water. You're going to have a little bit more activity from the fish. And um, we're talking during the summer months, of course, and just better hatches, I think, overall because of the design of the dam.
0: Mm-hmm. What's the access like uh, for
1: Uh, For that canyon, there's plenty of access. There's over eight miles of access there. I think the section above Springer Gulch to the dam is the section that probably gets um, the most attention. But certainly, there's ample parking there and plenty of good water to fish. And it gets a little more pressure up towards the dam, so certainly um, spread out a little bit. There's some great water um, throughout that canyon.
0: You no, know, and when, uh, when we're talking about access, we've got a road all the way up there to the dam, basically we do not a lot not a lot uh, of, of hiking or I mean you know we have different That's abilities, nice. of course, you know, of people trying to get in down to the water.
1: what's that like for yeah, people? the beauty yeah, the beauty of that is that um you know you you can drive up the gravel road there and um you can pull off in a number of places and that was one of the things that I did in this revision of this this map was, or of this book, was to try to get some very detailed maps, and so um, I get a, two maps, for instance, in the 11-mile canyon section, and I went to the regional experts like uh, Greg Blessing, and um, he helped me uh, pinpoint the exact locations of the holes and the names of the holes, and I used Landon up at Spinney. Um, but it was really uh, cool to go out to these pros' pros and uh, get their input and um, there's very detailed discussions on the holes in the text and how to fish them, and kind of give just a little bit about the canyon. I think, and that's that's one of the additions to this new project.
0: Yeah, yeah, very detailed. Um, super guide uh, to to those those sections. Um, I just want. Where did you get the base map for these? Did you? Is there a source that you started out with? I don't mean the Stack fishing part, I uh,
1: mean the, the map. <laughs> yeah, Stackpole did all the maps for me, but um oh, I went ahead okay. and and I put I gave them GPS coordinates for the maps, so um are yeah. exact locations of the hole. So they're very detailed yeah. and um I think anybody that purchases the book will really appreciate the detailed maps in this project.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about um 11 mile? How does that fish differently than say I mean the topography is
1: much different, right? Yeah, I mean it's a Boulderfield Canyon, you know, sections of you know, you have uh Cheeseman and you have Eleven Mile and you have Waterton Canyon, so those are the canyon stretches sections of the river. Um they certainly fish a whole heck of a lot different than the classic meandering meadow streams. And eleven mile is a little different in the fact that we talked about that top release configuration, especially in the winter, so Because some of that water is coming off the top there, the amount of fishable water during the winter is considerably less during the the summer. So typically uh, it remains fishable down to the first set of rapids. So much shorter fishery in comparison to some of the other tailwaters in the South Platte Corridor. But overall, there's about eight and a half miles of fishable access there and just a great tailwater fishery. It's one of the better uh, tailwaters in the western United States.
0: When you said, um, down to the first rapids, what would be that location on the map? Well, I'm looking at your, you know, your numbered locations on the map. Where would the
1: fish? It's about, be? it's about a mile. It's a mile, about a mile, give or take, below okay. the dam itself.
0: Okay. So that area fishes pretty consistently all year round. Um, but during the winter, below that is,
1: is more limited. It, yeah, a lot of that lower stuff freezes up, and it's worth noting. I mean, Eleven Mile Canyon is a frigid place in the winter. I'm just like Cheeseman can be. It's <laughs> mainly because you know the lack of sun that gets in there. Yeah. So uh, you really need to dress in layers, and you know you don't want to be showing up at seven o'clock in the morning in Eleven Mile Canyon in January or December. You know, I mean, it's going yeah. to be you know show up about ten thirty and plan on fishing until about two thirty, three o'clock, and it's very technical, but um, it certainly gives anglers the opportunity to catch fish year-round.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good, good. Now, and then below um, uh, below 11 Mile, you have, what, Happy Meadows and Wildcat Canyon. Can you talk uh, about those yeah. a little
1: bit? You know, as we're starting to move downstream now, you know, we, we get um, down below the community of Lake George and, and the uh, – the river um, crosses underneath, you know, Highway 24 there, and then down near um, Happy Meadows Campground, there's a stretch of water down there that's about four miles in length. Um, certainly, it doesn't have the national notoriety that some of the other sections, but it, it, it certainly is another stretch of water where anglers can find, you know, rainbows, browns, cuts. It average eight to 12 inches. Certainly. Um, throw dry nymphs and streamers, good dry and dropper water. It's just, again, another section of water for anglers that they can uh, goof around on. And then below that you have um, Wildcat Canyon that's going to offer a little bit more of a rugged experience. And I think most people know that that section of river was really hit hard from the Hayman Fire. And it's, it's hard to believe, you know, the Hayman Fire was in June of 2002, and you know, the river certainly had a lot of damage done at that point. And, and one of the most heavily hit sections was um, that Wildcat Canyon. But the good news is is that that particular section is making a remarkable comeback, and Jeff phone is just really, really pleased with, with what's going on in that particular section. So we're seeing fish you know, that are between seven and 12 inches in there, um, and just an increasing population of uh, fish thrown in there. It's a, it's a tough place to get in and out. Um, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, but it's certainly another option for people that are looking for more of a backcountry experience.
0: Right, right, and probably uh, more solitude back in there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just looking at your pictures uh, there, it looks like a beautiful place to fish, though.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, so, uh, I have to uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, both Happy
0: Meadows and uh, Wildcat um, definitely off the beaten track.
1: And uh,
0: it, it's just I, I, um,
1: it's just another option, you know. That's that's what's so cool yeah. about you know the South Platte corridor. I mean, there's three different forks and there's so much so much water there. I think you know fly fishers, as a general rule, they get trapped in to return into returning to the same piece of water over and over and over. Sometimes the same hole, hole over and over and over. But I would encourage everybody to try to get out and see some of these stretches of water that uh, maybe you haven't fished, and like we talked about, even pop in and fish one of the still waters from time to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
0: um, Is there any fishing in Lake George? I never hear anybody talking about that.
1: I don't believe you can fish Lake George, but I may be wrong. I would not be able to answer that question, I think we'd have to ask somebody yeah. that knows better on that one. Yeah, yeah,
0: I never hear anybody talking about it, so, yeah, I'm just curious. Okay, so... Um, we're moving on down and um, uh, talking about um, Cheeseman. Then, so we've got um, Cheeseman Reservoir, right?
1: And the yes, sir.
0: Coming out of it. So, how is Cheeseman? Is it how, how would it be different than uh, Eleven Mile Canyon?
1: You know, Cheeseman is certainly, I think, probably the best stretch of water in the entire South Platte corridor. Certainly the uh, biomass and the electroshocking data support that, um, but with that being said, probably one of the most technical fisheries, I think, in the entire South Black corridor. And there's no doubt that if you can catch fish in Cheeseman Canyon, you can probably catch fish just about anywhere in the world. So it, it's a tough fishery, but the beautiful thing about Cheeseman is the management that I think occurs there is what really makes it such a special place. Um, there's three different release points on the dam itself. You have a bottom release, you have the jet valve, which is 60 feet below the top of the reservoir, and then you have the spillway, which comes into play, of course, at full pool. But a large percentage of the time, not during the winter months, of course, but the Denver Water Board tries to keep the water temperature between 50 and 60 degrees. So that's a huge component in a healthy fishery.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, you've got some walking to do if you want to do fish cheeseman, right? Can you?
1: You do. There's uh, two different access points. You can come in from the top or you can come in from the bottom. Um, Coming in from the top is a lot of work, both in and out. Um, I don't do it very often. Um, I do it every now and then just because it's kind of nice to complete the circle and see, you know, the reservoir level and I really like to see it when it spills. I think it's one of the Coolest phenomenons out there watching the water coming out of those three different release points. It's really cool. And, of course, you have the access uh, from um, down off of Highway 126, and there's about 3.2 of uh, river miles there. And so, you know, you can be to the lower section in 25 or 30 minutes, or you can hike in from the bottom up close to the top, and it'll take you upwards of, you know, hour and 45 minutes to two hours.
0: Yeah, it looks like from the top it's um what, a mile and a half or so just to get to the river? Is that about right?
1: That's about right, yeah. And it's it's not an easy mile and a half, that's for sure. And those that yeah. have done it know that the walk out is not a lot of fun. But certainly, <laughs> um certainly there's fewer people in the top end, but um I don't really think you gain a whole lot by hiking in from the top end, especially during higher water. It's it's not a bad option when the the flows are low but when the water starts getting up you know above 400 cfs there's not a lot of fishable water in that upper section and you got to be half billy goat to get around up in there it's pretty demanding terrain
0: yeah yeah well let's talk more about um cheeseman in just a minute i need to take a, a break and then um let's chat more about uh why it's such a uh a challenging fishery so um Stick with me, and, um, and we'll come right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration habits like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Upper Delaware and New York and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like the Peacock Bass Study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remained unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as we work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. So, um, Pat, tell us why this is, you know, a technical and challenging fishery. What's made it that way, and what do you have to do to be successful?
1: You know, the thing about cheeseman that makes it really difficult is the structure you know, there's, uh, over 5,000 fish per mile in Cheeseman and there's some times when you would think that there's no fish in the canyon. Um, but especially during low flows when, when, the, when the water's down, you know, around 50 CFS, you know, the trout certainly have the home field advantage. They can hide underneath those rocks and some down those deep holes and, and they're really difficult to find at certain times and once the water gets you know, up around 100, then all of a sudden the fish start moving around, and even better when it starts to get to 200, then we start to see more fish. And um, the water was just raised to 90 uh, yesterday, which is really great, because we've been, you know, dealing with low flows around 50 CFS. So I think fishing is going to continue to improve um, now. But, um, you know, you have a small aquatic life. you got very clear water, very cold water. You know, it's coming out of the dam at about 39 and a half degrees right now. And um, during the winter, obviously, it gets colder as it moves down canyon. During the summer, it gets warmer as it moves down canyon. But um, there's just a lot of different things that make it tough. And I think, you know, one of them is, is just the, the small aquatic life. Um, and also, you're dealing with a self-sustaining population of wild trout. And that that's what makes Cheeseman I think, special. You know, it, you've got wild browns, wild rainbows, and they're just, just difficult to fool, but the good news is, is when you catch them, you feel good, and um, you know it's a great experience overall.
0: Uh, what kind of hatches do you get on that section?
1: We see um, midges hatch year round. They can be sporadic at times, um, very intermittent during the the winter months. But now, as we're starting to move into um, you know, March, we're starting to see those bitch hatches intensify, and we're also seeing the, the big spring midge. Um, I was guiding in the canyon today, and we saw both the small midge and the um, big spring midge. And uh, then as we start to, you know, move towards the latter part of March and get into April, then we start to see uh, the blueing olives begin to come off. And typically the olives will hatch for about six weeks, and then um, we have a little bit of lull depending upon flows before the caddis come off. Midsummer brings um, some some good pale morning duns and, and, of course, caddis. And then latter part of the summer, we see a very reliable trico hatch, and then the, that trico hatch will go clear into October. And then we have the fall blueing olives, the tiny bluing olive known as the pseudo-clone. So um, we have very, very reliable hatches in the canyon, and that offers – um, some very, very difficult dry fly fishing at times, but um, some very rewarding dry fly fishing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And You've got some really extensive uh, hatch charts in your book um, uh, going through all this that you just talked about. So uh, I encourage people to, to go out and buy your book and uh, and get the, the details on this. What are some of your favorite flies for, for Cheeseman Canyon that work for you?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the RS2 is certainly one that, you can't live without in Cheeseman. Um, that's a great one. Uh, Juju Betis is a good one. A Stout Cup Betis. Um, Black Beauty. Top Secret Midge. Manhattan Midge. Um, and some bigger bites, you know, like a Pat's Rubber Leg at times and Amy's Ant to imitate the stoneflies, which I failed to mention a moment ago. But, um, you know, there's a robust population of Golden Stones in Cheeseman Canyon, and they're they're an important part of of the trout's diet, and I did fail to mention that a minute ago. But you know, you don't always have to think small in Cheeseman. You know, you do have some 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 uh, caddis, you have some stones, and you know the the scud bite can be fabulous during the high water season. Which this year, I think we're going to see a, a great high water season in Cheeseman. We're at about uh, 77% full, like I said. So we've got. Um, a little way to gain, but I think that the reservoir is going to fill and spill, and my guess would be uh, late May or early June at the latest Father's Day. I think we'll have uh, some pretty good fishing in there.
0: we Scuds, uh standard
1: scud. Uh, you don't get any micey shrimp out of those reservoirs, do you? No mice in there, um, although they, it's interesting. They do put kokanee um, in Cheeseman Reservoir, and there is a, a run of coconut salmon that go up into Goose Creek. But typically, you know, you, you associate coconut um, salmon that are in the reservoirs with a mysus shrimp fishery, but that's not the case here. Um, no mysus there, but a thriving population of scuds. You know, if you lift up a rock, you can watch those scuds dart out. Um, you know, Gramaris scud, you know, olive scud, and uh, right. when they die, they turn orange. So um, right. you know, typically I fish more orange scuds than I do olive scuds, but um, that's something that fishermen in Cheesman Canyon should not overlook is is the scud fishing, and it's a great attractor in a tandem nymphing rig, and t- pretty much what I use I fish a, a UV scud for a large percentage of the high water season, trailing it with some sort of a mayfly um, nymph behind it.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so while we're talking about uh, flies, this is a quick question we get almost every every show uh, in one form or another, but this one's, this one's pretty extensive. Kurt Klusman in Washington asks, um, if you had only one dry fly to fish for trout, one for nymphs and one streamer or wet fly on any river at any given time of the year, what three flies would you choose regardless of tactic or technique?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. That's a, that's a tough question. Obviously, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision, but, uh, I think if I had, to, you know, one dry fly to fish, uh, there is no doubt that I would choose a parachute Adams. Um, I yeah. think it's one of the most versatile, um, dry flies in, you know, bigger sizes that can imitate, uh, mayflies all the way up to drakes all the way down to, you know, like in a, a 26, it can imitate midges. So, there's no doubt. I think a parachute Adams, if you had to choose one dry fly, would be a great one. And, and that's a, you know, that's a pretty traditional pattern. And I think, you know, for nymphs, I, I feel the same way. I, I would fish a pheasant tail. I think a pheasant tail is probably one of the, the best nymphs that anybody could fish in a wide range of sizes and colors. For instance, if I fish it in black, it's great. Um, it could be a, a winter stone. If I fish it in yellow, it's a good pale morning dun. In beige, it's a good tricho nymph. I could cut the tail off, and I could imitate midge pupa with it. So I think it's a super versatile fly. And then um, with regard to a streamer, there's so much incredible streamer innovation out there. But I think I would, if I could only choose one fly, I think I would default, again, to just a real basic pattern that I think every fly fisher carried in their fly box over the year. I would say an olive woolly Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, it's uh it's interesting because nowadays you meet you know, I met a guy on the north fork of the plat up here by by Bailey where I live and fishing one day and um, he had uh his box of flies was about the size of my iPhone. And um, he showed me what was in his box and he says, This is all I ever carry and you know, I catch fish all the time. And so his approach was very minimalistic, you know. And um, it's kind of interesting that uh, people kind of from the Tenkara, you know, uh, uh group as well of being minimal, minimalistic, um, it kind of tells me at times that maybe we overdo it at times. But uh I know as a guide you have to have everything available. But uh what are your thoughts about that? Because like you say, these are, you know, I mean – the Adams and pheasant tails. I've been fishing since I was, you know, thirteen. You know, and like you say, they always work, um, or most of the time they work. So, what are your thoughts on a more minimalistic approach?
1: Well, unfortunately, um, I've got a serious problem with too many flies. I uh, <laughs> I, I love to tie flies, and um, I've you know, like I always carry you know at least a dozen fly boxes with me when I'm on a guided trip. And I think you know, for me, there's one fly works really well in a particular section, and I tend to go to that fly, and then and I tend to go to a different fly in a different particular section. And I think a lot of it revolves around your confidence in a particular pattern. For instance, I I, um, I rely more on an RS2 um, in certain sections, and I rely on a pheasant tail in certain sections more heavily, and it just it just It's just I've had previous success, and I tend to go back to proven patterns in certain areas, but certainly I carry um, a wide range and a super, super thorough selection of flies to imitate just about anything that could possibly catch on that river. Um, right. And, you know, it's, it's just part of the game, and its it, I think, you know, we'd all agree that it's one of the most, feeling parts of our sport is if you tie your own flies it's catching fish on something you've tied or something that you've designed.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I know you've been uh posting uh pictures of your fly boxes on uh Facebook lately. <laughs> so I knew I knew that they were well stocked. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen any that many midges in one place at one time in my life, but <laughs> lots, lots of patterns. Yeah. So, uh but it is fun, and you know, when you fish like you do, it's your home waters. You fish there almost every day. I mean, you know, like what's been successful. So, uh especially when you're guiding somebody, why try to reinvent the, the wheel if it's working, right? So, because um, yeah, your exactly. Goal is I mean, you know, you get them into fish and
1: have a good time so yeah i mean the most important thing i think you know for a fly fisher um whatever section of the south Platte they're on is is to just maximize your fishing time minimize you know minimize your downtime and by that i mean you know don't be changing flies every few minutes um put some flies on that you feel confident in and certainly there's there's some flies that that are um very very productive and just fish those hard you know you're you're better off making more adjustments with your weight and your indicator than you are constantly changing flies. So um, certainly you got to be, you know, in the ballpark, but I think uh, a lot of people are intimidated by fly selection, um, and I think they have a tendency to outthink themselves a lot of times um, as opposed to um, actually doing themselves a a lot of good by constantly changing flies. I am a guy that, Typically, we'll put on three flies, and and I rarely change those flies. Like I said, I make more adjustments with uh, my indicator and my weight than I do anything else.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like when you're describing Cheeseman, uh, the challenge is getting those flies to the fish Maybe more important than what flies they are, right?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, particularly in Cheeseman, is identifying feeding fish. You know, um, water's cold this time of year. Obviously, we're right on that. Transitional zone now, where we're going to start to see betas and the water going to be warming back into the 40s, and the fish will be moving back into the riffles. But you know, right now, you know, those fish are sitting in the soft water margins. Um, probably the the biggest piece of advice I could give somebody is try to target feeding fish. You know, like I saw a lot of fish today, but um, the vast majority of them were nailed down to the substrate and they weren't eating. And I was a little bit frustrated. I'm just trying to you know find feeding fish. But we had some midges come off at about Noon today, and that really changed the complexion of, of the fish. Um, they started to engage in the feeding process, and that's when we really started to hook up a few fish.
0: Is that where you were fishing today, is in Cheeseman?
1: Yeah, as in Cheeseman.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, good. Um, uh, I saw, uh, Let me throw this, this question in here. Tony in North Carolina says he'll be in Colorado Springs in September. He says he's fished the Dream Stream and wants to do 11-mile canyon. Uh, But he wants to know what section of the South Platte uh, do you recommend that's, I guess, closest to Colorado Springs area?
1: Well, the beautiful thing about being in Colorado Springs or, let's say, Woodland Park is you really have, um, you know, the opportunity to fish anything you want there. I mean, you're you're an hour to Spinney, which is great, a little less to 11-mile canyon. And then if you want to take Highway 67, you can drop down and fish Cheeseman or Deckers. Um, I think, you know, I would just look and see what section is is fishing best. Or, heck, you know, even fish them all. I mean, you might want to um, do that. Or, really, what are your goals and expectations that time of year? Are you looking for migratory fish or you're looking for resident fish or are you looking for, you know, fish that are eating blue and olives that time of year and so Certainly, there's a lot of um, opportunities that time of year and and certainly um, one of my favorite times of year because typically the need for downstream irrigation, the demand goes way down. So just usually the flows are lower and the fishing is generally better that time of year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Tell people about um, Blue Quill and your your website. Don't you have a lot of flow information and fishing reports there that, that would help people?
1: We do, you know. I mean, that's. um, I think as as anglers, you know, leave in the morning to go wherever they choose to fish. It's always a good idea to uh, check the flow, and um, you know, you tend to find the sweet spots for certain times of the year. You know, I mean, I like 100 cfs is just that's a great flow for this time of year, and I found that you know the flow gets much. Above 100 CFS, the dry fly fishing suffers a little bit. The nymphing will be good, but, so that's just a little tidbit there. But yeah, um, gosh, we've been in business for over 30 years. Um, I started at the Blue Quill back in 1992 and, and feel extremely blessed to be part of the Blue Quill Angler team. And, um, we are very passionate about what we do and we like to share our information and our knowledge. And, um, we have a fishing report that, um, Will help people, you know, choose the right flies and keep you um, apprised on the flow and so on and so forth. And certainly, if you have any further questions, you can always email us or call us. And uh, when you succeed, we succeed. So we just want to make sure that um, everybody's out having a good time and catching a few fish.
0: Yeah, and your website is uh
1: bluequillangler.com, right? Yes, sir. And then I have uh, yeah. I have my personal website as well, um, okay. com. So um, have uh, that one, too, okay,
0: there you go, folks. uh, you want to connect with Pat and or his is the uh, crew there um in um are you in Bergen Park or evergreen? I'm trying to remember,
1: yeah, we're in Bergen park,
0: Bergen park, yeah, yeah, so uh folks coming out of denver, it's uh on the road to evergreen before you get to evergreen, so if you want to come visit them, do so and uh or give them a call, right uh right, pat as far as getting a, Absolutely. Uh, a, the latest, greatest reports and so forth. So, good, good. Um, let's talk about uh, then moving down from... Well, let me back up, because I, I missed one question. Uh, Jeff from Fayetteville, uh, Arkansas, want to know what the best nymph and or emerger pattern and size that you would use for 11-mile canyon in, in summer fishing. Great
1: question. I think... Uh... I think my answer here is going to probably apply to most sections of the South Platte and 11 Mile, particularly. I mean, midsummer brings some really um, great pale morning dun hatches, and I think uh, one of my favorite patterns is uh, John Barr's um, Bar merger, and particularly the PMD variety in a size uh, 16 or an 18. I would carry some flashback variations of that, some standard variations, as well as some beadhead emergers, too. So that's, I think, for me, certainly that's a must-have pattern for any section of the South Platte.
0: Okay, good. Good. Good to know. Um, Dino in Michigan asked, uh, he says, do Flat River tactics work in other places? Is the water clarity and in insect species the key drivers in this fishery uh, and successful approaches?
1: You know, given um, the fact that, that uh, you know, these sections that we've been talking to here just recently, are, you know, they're all tailwaters. And that's the beautiful thing about a uh, tailwater is that a tailwater is a tailwater. You know, whether you're fishing the South Platte and Cheesman Canyon or you're fishing Um, Watauga or the South Holston in eastern Tennessee or the Farmington in Connecticut. The good thing is the tailwater is tailwater, and you're going to apply a lot of the same tactics and techniques um, on those tailwaters as well. So, you know, there's going to be some nuances for sure, you know, with regard to, you know, the aquatic life is going to vary a little bit, but that's easy to address. You can pretty much just talk to a a local fly shop to get, you know, up to speed on, on what's going on there. You know, the clarity, you know, certainly the, the clarity can be a tricky part of what we do. I mean, a lot of those are gin clear waterways. And, you know, the insects, we talked a little bit about that earlier, you know, kind of get up to speed on the insects and, and the flies that you need to um, match the hatch, and um, you'll be pretty successful on any tailwater.
0: Yeah, okay, good, good. Um, Jerry, Tommaso in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, asks: um, Is nymphing with Euro nymphing techniques a good option on the South Platte? You
1: no, know, I get that question asked a lot, and uh, I'm one of the few indicator fishermen still left at the shop. I'm surrounded by um, a, a great team of professionals that are very, very good anglers, and many of them um, do Euro nymphing and tightline nymphing, and so. I always tell people you know I think that um you know I do what i what I do um, because uh, you know that that 's what i've always done, and that's that 's what i teach and, and I feel comfortable with and but certainly the euro techniques are uh, another arrow in your quiver, and I would encourage everybody to um, learn those because there's there's a time and place i mean they 're super effective in some of the stretches you know the pocket water stretches and uh Certainly, it's a great, great way to elevate your game to the next level.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got a question. Um, uh, let's see here. Question from Fred Arati in Parsippany. Uh, I think that's New York. I'm not sure where Parsippany is. Um, he asked, do you enjoy catching a quantity of fish or a quality of fish?
1: I think you know, for me, I'd rather catch a few tough fish than I would quantity. Um, for instance, I mean, if there's a fish that that's rising to olives and you have to work hard for them, and you know, you got a long leader and a size 22 nymph, and you had to have a reach bend to catch that fish. I think that's that's a satisfying fish to me, and I I, I like the difficult nature of, of fooling tough trout, and um, I think that's why guiding cheeseman so much i think you know, cheeseman is is a humbling experience and um certainly you have to bring your a-game every time you go into cheeseman and it's certainly not a numbers fishery but at the day's end if you're targeting tough trout you're going to walk away as a better fisherman and i think that's the good news about that scenario
0: yeah it's kind of interesting um i don't know why you know trout fishing has many times been associated with numbers you know but um you know if you go fish the salt water you go after permit or bonefish or tarpon it's definitely not a numbers game you know uh, many times it's a all-day multi-day hunt to get one fish you know and um you know it, it's such a different different attitude and you can fish all day and catch nothing and you still feel good about it <laughs> because you gave oh, yeah. best, you know yeah so i know how you you know or you've worked, you know, hours uh, in, in a pool trying to get that one fish, and you finally get it. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's quite the accomplishment. So I know, I know what you're talking about. And how you feel? Um, Phil McCartney from uh, California, Kentucky, also asked online here: What streamers would you recommend someone new to the river to try to attract the large trout, uh, trout in various stretches of the South Platte?
1: I'm a big fan of uh John Barr's Meat Whistle. Um I like his, his slump buster, those are certainly two of my favorite streamers. And I like uh Matt Bennett's lunch money. That's that's one of my favorite streamers as well. And I tend to um fish pine squirrel leeches and woolly boogers quite frequently. I I've gone back to you know, the woolly bugger a couple times here but you know it's simple but effective, and certainly one of my favorite streamers all the way around.
0: Do you do anything to dress up uh, the wooly boogers, um, or do you just tie the standard
1: pattern? I carry I carry them in a bead head, I carry them in a cone head, I carry them in a standard variation. Okay. A lot of times when I when I'm fishing streamers, I'll I'll fish a tandem rig, for instance, and one of my favorites on the South Flat is. Um, white crystal bugger is my lead fly trailed with a size 10 pine squirrel leech behind it and the white crystal bugger becomes a locator fly it allows you to see your pine squirrel leech behind it but that's that's a deadly little combination right there
0: and what do you, will you run those about 18 inches apart or
1: yep exactly
0: okay okay good good um Okay, um, moving down from Cheeseman, we come to Decker's, right? Yes, sir. a great fishery. Yeah, so tell us, tell the folks about Decker's and what makes it special.
1: You know, uh, I spend a lot of time at Decker's, particularly in the winter. Um, Decker's certainly is, it's a lot of pressure, you know, easy access and um, good fishing is going to bring a lot of people in, but... Uh, you know, Decker's is, is is an amazing fishery, despite the amount of pressure it gets. It it holds its own, and um, I do a tremendous amount of guiding in there. Um, it's currently about 114 cfs right now, so we've got you know some additional tributaries that come in. Um, for instance, Wigwam Creek, that thing's you know swollen up pretty good now. And it's ripping pretty good and adding a little bit of color to the lower river there. But uh, so you got Horse creek that comes in right at Decker's and then you got four mile creek so you got those tribs, and and that's why there's the difference between the outlet of ninety at Cheeseman versus what is going on down there so that's something to keep in mind but overall you know deckers i I, I do a tremendous amount of guiding and fishing there between November and March during the winter and and I tend to um, you know once April comes around then I tend to 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 go up into Cheeseman but um, that is a great fishery, and, um, everybody should fish it. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. a great place, you know. And
0: now, it's, um, um, yeah, much closer to Denver than, uh, the other places, and easier access, too, which makes it probably more popular for most folks. Um, like most fishing, yeah. if, mm-hmm. if you, or, or even hiking uh, in colorado like they say if you just get a mile away from the trailhead (laughs) you'll lose half the people you know um and um so i think that's that's what makes makes cheeseman a a little less pressured right because you do have to do some walking there to to
1: get in absolutely absolutely i mean deckers unfortunately deckers has been loved to death um it, it gets a lot of pressure in the it's certainly one of the more crowded places right now and it, it it certainly tends to be a little bit of frustration there but um that's yeah. where everybody's got to work together and um, everybody needs to have some manners and etiquette and just um you know fish a hole for a little bit and move on and share the love a little bit and just um be kind to one another
0: yeah yeah um basically the same tactics working there as you as you, as you have used
1: in Cheeseman or 11 Mile Canyon? Exactly. That's what I always... Not really. Um, You know, you, you have a little bit more of an active brown trout population down at Deckers, mainly because the water warms up as it moves downstream. And, you know, rainbows, they like cooler water. You know, their peak preferences are 42 to 52 degrees, and brown trout prefer water that's 52 to 62 degrees. So... It only makes sense as you move further away from the dam, you're going to get a a, a more stable population of brown trout and a little bit more activity from the brown trout. And in this particular case, that holds true as well. But, yeah, pretty much the tactics and techniques and the timing of the hatches and that kind of stuff, um, very, very um, consistent with what we see up in Cheeseman Canyon.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And then down from Deckers, we've got Waterton Canyon. Um, So tell us about Waterton Canyon.
1: You know, Waterton is, is a lovely fishery, and I, I fished Waterton a lot when when I was in my teens. Um, I think I fished Waterton probably more um, than I did Jackers and Cheeseman, but it certainly it's had its ups and downs with the Buffalo Creek fire and and um, some sedimentation. And, and um, it's you know, when we talk about Waterton Canyon, we're talking about the uh, tailwater below Stranaha Springs and um it's staches Springs is only about seventy eight hundred acre feet, so it's one of the smallest uh stillwater impoundments that Denver water uses. but in a lot of situations and i and I quote Dave Bennett in my book, he says that it's the most important still water because that's where a lot of the day to day um you know demand changes are dressed, and that's where the water is coming from that goes into the city. So that's one of the more frustrating parts of water 10 is there are a lot more fluctuation and flows in that particular stretch of water. But um, it's cool little fishery. There's so much going on. There's six miles of water there between the parking lot and the dam um, up to Strontia Springs, and it's, uh, it's it's amazing fishery. It's got more fish in there than people want to admit, about 4,300 fish per mile. Uh, the only oh, really? thing that is, oh, really? yeah, and, and Spohn, you know, that's uh, data from Jeff Spone. Um but uh, there's not a lot of big fish. So the fish average between 6 and 11 inches, and so um, it's got a healthy, robust population of, of brown trout and, and lots of them, but just not a lot of big fish.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, that 6, uh, six and a half miles is um, you either walk or, as you suggested in the book, ride a
1: bike, right? Exactly. Um and, I think if you're drive gonna fish some of the You can't drive up, no. Um you just you, you kinda of park over there near the old Castler water treatment plant and, and uh you, if you're gonna fish um you know the lower stretches there then you can walk in and, and, and that's that's not a problem. But um I always like to to, to get up in there a ways and, and fish, you know, above Marston diversion and um Mill Gulch and up. You know, and the upper section is, um, special regs and the lower section is more of a put and take fishery. So, know, um, there's kind of some, some different choices to make there. But gosh, I mean, it's, it's right on the fringe of the outskirts of Denver. And, and when you get up into Waterton Canyon, it's hard to even believe that you're that close to the city of Denver. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's a beautiful canyon. Yeah. Um, I've uh, I've walked. Let's see. I don't even remember where we walked through there. We walked all the way up the Canyon past past Stauncher Springs, and to wherever we hit the next road. Uh, what highway is that? That would be. What would that be?
1: uh Are you talking above Stauncher Springs? Yeah, yeah. So above above then you've got the north fork of the South Platte and the south fork of the South Platte coming together there, right where the old South Platte Hotel is. Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: What 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 road is that? South Platte
1: Hotel. Well, I'd have to look at I'd have to look at the map. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, no no problem. No problem. Well, let's, you know, you brought up the North Fork, which is uh, a lot of people probably don't even know about. But um, tell folks about the, the North Fork of the
1: plant. Uh, it comes off the backside of, of Kenosha Pass. Um, so it, it's draining that watershed up there. And then um, Geneva Creek also is, is a major tributary to uh, the North Fork. And then um, it's very flow-dependent on, you know, releases from the Roberts Tunnel, which is coming from uh, Dillon Reservoir, and um, we've had pretty good flows out of the Roberts Tunnel most of the winter, but unfortunately, um, earlier this week, they decided that they needed to shut the Roberts Tunnel off because of our snowpack, so obviously, if you live in Bailey, you know that the North Fork is pretty skinny right now, so... Um, yeah, you know I think the natural flow now is down to around 15 or 20 cfs. So, um, and you know it's going to start to build some steam here with um, runoff as it gets warmer and such. So we'll start to see you know some flows getting upwards of two, three, four hundred cfs. But uh, mainly a stocked fishery, a lot of private water, particularly you right. know above Bailey around Shawnee. But certainly it's another option for people if they're looking to explore those type of things
0: yeah yeah it's kind of a pay-to-play <laughs> situation up here because uh, i just live i live in bailey but uh but some of those um uh, ranches up there that are private um um you just hire their guides and go fish their their properties and there's some huge fish in there and uh, they've really uh, they've really uh, uh restored a lot of the, the stream areas on those ranches so there's a lot of holding pools and stuff like that but um uh and I know a lot of people come in there, fly in and, and go to that area as well. But uh um yeah, and then I think downstream from Bailey there's just so much private uh land that it's hard to get in. Uh you know, and and you just can't get in, whether you want to pay or not. Uh you can't get to to the water. So a little restricted there. Yeah. So um um and then kind of lastly talking about uh Denver metro area because this South Platte goes right through the middle of downtown, and um, that's changed a lot in the past 20-25 uh, years, hasn't
1: it? It really has, you know, and, and um, that was that was one of the things that when when we did the revision, you know, we 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 did add some some really good information to the book. You know, one of them was that the, the South Park Stillwaters that we already addressed, but I think one of the, the big components um, to the book and the revision was, you know, adding some information on the Denver South Platte. You know, I mean, um, it really wasn't on the radar of a lot of people, you know, for many, many years. But now it's certainly, um, you have a, a decent trout fishery, you know, below Chatfield, and then you have... Um, a lot of other fish as you move downstream, you know, warm water species and so on and so forth. So, certainly, um, there was a section of the South Platte that I felt a little uncomfortable addressing. So, I got, um, some help on that one from Rick down at Trouts and, and he was kind enough to, and he did a fantastic job there, you know, talking about specific information and flies and recommended patterns and so on and so forth. So, I'm super appreciative of of his contribution to the book, and I think anybody that um, fishes the Denver-South Platte would be very pleased with with the information that he's provided.
0: Yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't know that uh, you know, that's a, a great um, uh, carp fishery. There's some huge carp coming out of there, and uh, you can literally, uh, you know, fish with uh, <laughs> with uh, skyscrapers in your you know in your background and catching some uh, really incredible fish down there so uh, yeah and it used to be quite a polluted mess down there years ago but um, uh, the city of Denver's really cleaned things up and, and made it and especially if you're just in town for a day or something and and you don't have time to get up to the mountains to fish that's certainly a place to wet your line in many spots right in, in town so uh, keep that in mind if you're if you're visiting us. Uh, from out of town but um well we've got uh we've got to wrap things up here that we ran out of time and uh pretty much covered the the whole the whole length of the south platte um uh, hopefully everybody have a good idea of where to go one question that did come up um mark altman was greenwood village colorado was asking about you know the pressure and so forth so if you were to you know he wants to know where's the best way to what's the best place, you know, to get away from the crowds? Obviously, you said Decker's probably is the most pressured. Uh, would you say that's the case?
1: Yeah, I think Decker's probably receives as much pressure more than, than anything. You know, certainly DreamStream has its moments too. But I'll tell you what, I think the, the, the easiest way to escape the crowds is, is to fish during inclement weather. You know, I mean, a lot of times when I have customers that, want to cancel a guide trip because it's too snowy out I mean those are the days that you can get down there and you have you know you have the place to yourself but Mm -hmm. that's always a solution and I think you know um you know fishing some of those stretches out in South Park is a nice nice getaway too you know certainly trade-offs and compromises there smaller fish um but fewer people so I think you just got to kind of bounce around based on the season and flows and kind of think outside the box from time to time, and that's probably the best advice that I can give Mark to um avoiding some of those crowds. But
0: yeah. certainly a busy yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the whole stage is a busy place. <laughs> Busier than it used to be when uh, I was a kid, let's put it that way. So,
1: uh, Absolutely. Times have
0: changed. We just have more people, just more people and no more water, you know, so that's what we have to deal with. Um uh, well, uh, we've got to wrap this up. Um, stick with me here, Pat, because we're going to give away your book, and I'm going to have you help and make sure I get the right answer to the questions I'm going to ask. So uh, stick with me for a few more minutes. We're also going to give away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So, uh, yeah, hang on, folks. Uh, Pat's book, Fly Fishing Guide to the South Platte River, courtesy of Stackfold Books. We'll be giving that away. Hopefully you took notes and were paying attention, and maybe you'll win Pat's book. So hang tight. We'll be right back. The Bristol Bay region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet, and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. Uh, The Pebble Mine still remains a threat to the region, and two million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry is united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers from across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit SaveBristolBay.org to learn more about it and how you can get involved. Again, it's SaveBristolBay.org. And just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments, and we'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away uh, our prizes. Uh, the winners for our drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. If you didn't register for the show, for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show so you have a chance to, to win some of these uh, great prizes we have to offer. Um, if you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show to provide you with information on how to receive your prize. And so first off, we're giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. Uh, to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. It's a great organization to be part of and to support, and uh, it supports all of us in its conservation efforts. So, uh, so uh, check them out and see what's going on there. Uh, our winner there is Michael Liebowitz in Colorado. So, Michael Leibowitz, uh, I'm sure you tuned in because of the South Platte. So. Uh, Good for you, and thanks for playing, uh, and congratulations on winning that membership to the Fly Fishers International. And then we've got the uh, one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, courtesy of Amato Books. Check Amato out, uh, amatobooks.com. Lots of books on fly fishing as well as periodicals uh, on fly fishing as well. And our winner there is Roger Borland. Borland. Uh, Roger Borland also in Colorado. So two Colorado gentlemen, uh, winning tonight. Uh, thanks again for playing and, and, uh, and listening to our show. So I appreciate that. So now we'll give away Pat's book. Um, Fly Fishing Guide to the South Platte River, his latest revised edition with new information in it. And, uh, certainly even if you have the, his original book, you want to get the updated version as well. Uh we've got a link on our homepage of the website I believe where you can get his book as well as his other books. Uh Tying and Fly uh Fishing Tailwater Flies, Colorado Guide Flies, uh Fly Fishing Tailwaters, all great books by uh Pat Dorsey, so check them out. Uh will really help out your, your fly fishing for sure. So, um let's see here. Um why don't you tell me two of the uh, two of the three streamers that uh, Pat mentioned during the show tonight that were his favorites uh, for the South Platte? Two of the three streamers that he he had mentioned. So uh, we'll see. Pat, who is taking notes and paying attention now, and uh, see if we can't get us a, a winner here. So I'm. Uh, Refreshing the queue, looking for some answers here, and hopefully we'll get that in just a second. There is a delay in the, the broadcast, uh, so it takes uh, takes a moment to, to get some response. So anything new on your horizons, uh, Pat? Um, I know you've been doing speaking at the fly fishing shows and uh, um, got any upcoming events scheduled.
1: Not oh, really, just, uh, have one more show to do, and then it's gonna be back to, uh, guiding full time, so. I think yeah, yeah. Yeah, back to fishing. I don't think, uh, oh, yeah. many people are gonna be feeling sorry for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there's, it, it, well, there's gonna be lots of water, that's for sure, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a great year of fishing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we deserve it. We've had a lot of lean years, uh, so, so, um, so that's going to be great. Uh, first answer is Parachute Adams and Olive, Olive Woolly Booger, but Parachute Adams isn't a streamer, so sorry, Silas. Uh, that's not going to work for us. Um, okay, I got one here. Um you tell me if this is good. Uh, Pat, uh, Meat Whistle and Woolly Booger.
1: Yes, sir. That's dead on.
0: That's dead on. So that's two of them. The other one would be, uh, Uh, that I wrote down, uh, Slump Buster, and there was another one you had mentioned, too, I think.
1: Uh, uh, Yeah, uh, Matt Bennett's um, Lunch Money is a good one.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that was the other one I was thinking of. So Meat Whistle and Woolly Booger, great. Uh, That's Jim Craig in uh, Glen Carbon, Illinois. So, hey, Jim, thanks for listening in, and come out and visit us, and uh, come out and fish with Pat, and he'll show you where the fish are. Uh, So, congratulations. Congratulations. Um, and, Jim, what you need to do is just send me your uh, mailing address. You can do it in the same text box you just submitted your answer in. Uh, I've got your email address, got your name. Give me the, the mailing address, and then we'll get uh, Stackpole to send you out a book. So um, thanks uh, for listening and paying attention. appreciate it. Uh, Pat, hey, thanks again for being on the show. You've been on several times now with me. I always I always enjoy talking to you, and uh, I'm glad that you're able to share your experience with us. So thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right. Have a good evening. I know you had a long day, so uh, get your shut eye now. So take care, and we'll we'll talk to you again next time.
1: All right. Hopefully, you you
0: all have uh, found the archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link on our top line menu. In the archive, you'll find all of our past shows, over 285 shows now. You can search by any keyword phrase, uh, including like Pat Dorsey, and you'll find out all the shows that I've done with Pat. But um, uh, type in uh, South Platte River, trout, tarpon, whatever you want, and you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you discover. Our next broadcast will be on April 3rd, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern. And on that show, I'll interview Steve Kantner, and our topic for the show will be Women Who Fish. Steve's latest book, 50 Women Who Fish, is a collection of interviews with women who love to fish uh, women are the fastest-growing demographic in fly fishing, and understanding their interest and joy of fishing is, is important to us in the industry. Join us and learn why many of these women have made fly fishing an important part of their personal and their professional lives. Uh, we'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Stackpole Books, uh Key Fishing Lodge, Baja Fly Fishing, and Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you sign signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of the future podcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing on Net Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.